This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. It's Sunday, November 3rd. I'm Margaret Brennan in the nation's capital, and this is Face the Nation. President Trump enjoyed a rare Saturday night out, traveling to Madison Square Garden to take in some mixed martial arts with his own squad of supporters. New Yorkers gave him a mixed welcome to the Big Apple, but it was still a warmer reception than on Capitol Hill, where momentum is gaining in the impeachment inquiry. Thirteen administration officials have testified behind closed doors so far, their testimony further clarifying the whistleblower's claim that the president and his administration withheld military aid to Ukraine in an effort to force them to investigate political rival Joe Biden and his son Hunter. You don't need a quid pro quo. You just need the quid. And the quid was there. Democrats say that's an abuse of power that could grow into a case of obstruction of justice. Not so, says President Trump. The leadership, they have no clue. They're just very vicious people. Actually, they're sort of mentally violent people. But we've got it under control. It always helps when you didn't do anything wrong. We'll talk with two top House leaders, Majority Leader Steny Hoyer and Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. Plus, we'll ask California Democrat Jackie Speer what's next in the impeachment inquiry. Then, with exactly one year until Election Day 2020, we'll check in with CBS political correspondent Ed O'Keefe from the first stop on the primary parade. I'm all in in Iowa. I'm all in. But there's been movement in the field in both Iowa and beyond. I'm not saying it is a two-way, but I think... But you see that. Um, you see it's coming into focus, you and Warren. Yeah, and certainly a world where we're getting somewhere is that world, where it's coming down to the two of us. Senator Elizabeth Warren is creeping up on former Vice President Joe Biden nationally and making headlines with her plan to pay for Medicare for all. It's been real with numbers. It's, it's, a, it's a very difficult way to get there, what she's talking about. Plus, the Washington Nationals celebrate the city's first World Series win in 95 years. All of that, plus analysis on the news of the week, is just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning, and welcome to Face the Nation. This week, the weirdness in Washington continued as October wrapped up and November arrived, and with it, more political sparring over the impeachment inquiry, plus new questions prompted by testimony behind closed doors. After weeks of Speaker Nancy Pelosi refusing to hold a vote in the House to open a formal impeachment inquiry, she changed course, and the House voted to do just that. On this vote, the yeas are 232. 
The nays are 196. The vote took away a key Republican talking point for defending the president, that the Democratic-led investigation was invalid without being sanctioned by a majority of the House. Now they're crying foul about the rules of the roadmap for the investigation. When you look at this Soviet-style process, uh, it shows you that they don't really want to get to the truth. They want to remove a sitting president. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell summed up the rules for impeachment as... No due process now, maybe some later, but only if we feel like it. But behind closed doors, testimony revealed more damaging allegations about efforts made by President Trump and the White House staff to push Ukraine to investigate the Bidens. Army Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, a decorated Iraq war hero and top Ukraine expert on the National Security Council, testified that he was so alarmed by the content of the July 25th call between President Trump and Ukrainian President Zelensky that he reported his concerns to a top White House lawyer. That attorney, John Eisenberg, ordered that the call record be transferred to a secure server and told Vindman not to discuss it with anyone outside the White House. National Security Council staffer Tim Morrison testified that although he didn't find anything in the president's telephone conversation illegal, he was still concerned enough about the content to report it to that same White House attorney. Starting tomorrow, it's expected that hundreds of pages of material from 70 hours of depositions will be released ahead of open impeachment hearings. The committees are still hoping to hear from some key members of the administration before they start, including former National Security Advisor John Bolton. Republicans say they want to call their own witnesses, possibly former Vice President Biden's son Hunter. But with just two months left before the Democrats' self-imposed deadline to wrap things up before 2020, time is of the essence. When do public hearings start? They'll be soon. Could you be vaguer? (laughs) Today, we hope to answer some of those questions about what's ahead for the impeachment process. We begin this morning with someone who was right at the president's side last night, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, who joins us from New York. Uh, I I imagine you enjoyed the fight last night. It it was a good fight. Those are some amazing athletes and very tough, yes. Well, you got a fight ahead of you here in Washington, too, and that's what I want to ask you about in terms of what you think the strategy is to counter what could be some damaging detail in these published testimonies we expect to be public this week. Well, the people deserve to know the facts, the truth, and the accountability. Here we are that the Speaker of the House finally admitted, yes, she was wrong. There is no due process. What we voted on Thursday is not due process. There's no transparency. Think about what's happening. We had that vote on Thursday. Four days later, the Democrats are right back at it in the basement of the Capitol, having four more depositions secret that the public can't see. But now with that vote, they even have more control. They now made the Intel Committee the impeachment committee. They now control even further about which Republicans could even ask questions. They made Adam Schiff not only a fact witness, but he's the judge, the jury, and the prosecutor. That is unheard of. And if you take what Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, said just last March, that impeachment is so divisive to this nation, unless it is more compelling and overwhelming and bipartisan, we should not go forward. Mm-hmm. Thursday's vote, the only bipartisan vote was not to move forward was no. Never in our history have we ever moved through with what the, such a partisan impeachment movement. This mm-hmm. is unheard of and what they're trying to do. Remember, what is today? November 3rd. We are exactly one year away from Americans going to the polls to right. vote for the president. They're trying to change the outcome of 2016 and influence the next one. Well, uh, Republicans will be able to ask questions of witnesses and call their own. Who is it in the public hearings that Republicans want to hear from? Well, Margaret, that's not true. If you if you read what the resolution says now, Adam Schiff controls the time and now they've written it. Democrats are in the majority. That is the way being in the majority works. Isn't that what you would do? 
No, that is not what I would do. That is not what we did when we moved for impeachment with Clinton. That's not what Democrats did when they moved with impeachment for Nixon. They actually had witnesses. But what Adam Schiff now has the power to do is tell Devin Nunes, the ranking member, that mm -hmm. he cannot have any other member on that committee have time to ask questions. In every committee today, it doesn't matter what the issue is, you can yield your time to another individual, but not now. They want total control. Will the public be able to see what's inside these four new secret depositions in the basement? No. 75%, three-quarters yep. of the entire Congress cannot be included. So who is, that is openness? it? Who is it that you want to see? That was the question I asked. Well, well, I think the very first person we should bring Adam Schiff and his staff. He is the only individual in America For a public in hearing? who knows... You want to what? question well, the if he, chairman if of the House Intelligence Committee? Yes, I would, because he is the only person who knows who this whistleblower is. He refers to himself as a Ken Starr. Ken Starr testified. How many times did he meet with the whistleblower? What did he talk to the whistleblower about? Because when the whistleblower even went to the inspector general, he never mentioned that he went with Adam Schiff. Remember what we're talking about today, Margaret, the removal of the president of the United States. Mm -hmm. This should not be taken lightly. We should have all the facts. The public deserves the facts, not something that's leaked. We're three weeks since the very first right. hearing inside there, the deposition. We still do not have the transcripts. You have members of Congress who just voted yeah. to justify what has already happened without ever reading one word of what's gone on. Uh, that is record, what is wrong. We need record, accountability. For the record, the attorney for the whistleblower says he has his client has not met with Adam Schiff. Uh, a member of the committee did talk to the whistleblower about procedural matters. But I spoke to the whistleblower's attorney uh, just last night, Mark Zaid, and he told me that an offer has been made, and this is new, to Republicans to answer questions directly put to the whistleblower by Republicans, not going through the Democratic-controlled committee, but to answer them in writing, under oath, under penalty of perjury. What is your response to that offer? Well, Margaret, I have never received that offer, and I'm the lead Republican. It was submitted in the to House, Devin Nunes, who is the ranking member on House Intelligence. Well, when was it submitted to him? Because Devin had Last not night. told me about that prior to today. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, Devin's in California, so let's see how they submitted. But first of all, we're talking about the removal of the President of the United States. Just as the Speaker of the House said in March, it has to be so Boom. compelling, so overwhelming and bipartisan. I think if the whistleblower should come forward in an open hearing and also bring the six people that he talks about inside his complaint that he said talked about other issues as well. Now, so we have the so transcript. Would you, as so we leader, have more knowledge than the whistleblower. As, uh, as yes. leader, though, are you just completely turning down the opportunity to submit questions no, in writing. I would For like you, that is not sufficient? No. As an American, and that everybody should know and have accountability, you're talking about the removal of the presidency. We watched Adam Schiff lie to the American public that he did not know who the whistleblower was. So, so you are open to it? I'm not just not clear on that. Are, are no, what, what you, I, even what I, to the first offer of, of, of answering questions through writing, but then if Republicans submit their own questions directly, are you open to that? Because it would bypass Adam Schiff. Now, let me be very clear, Margaret. What I'm open to, when you're talking about the removal of the president of the United States, undoing democracy, undoing what the American public had voted for, I think that individual should come before the committee. He could come down to the basement, but he needs to answer the questions. We need an openness that people understand this. Remember what you're asking. You're going to change the course, the very fabric of democracy today, based upon someone wrote a written question of somebody that wasn't even on the phone call, that had hearsay, even though we all know what the transcript said? Well, Mike Pence would become president. Really it wouldn't far? undo that the we... election results. If the president were removed, Mike Margaret, Pence would become Margaret, president. You, Margaret, you're, Margaret, you're really saying today, on national television, that somebody who was not on the phone call, that you have the transcripts of the phone call, no big deal, just remove the president of the United States over a phone call? No, that I'm just saying that it wouldn't undo the election. Believe. It would put the vice president yes, in it the would undo. commander in chief spot. No. President okay. Trump was duly elected as the president of the United States. And okay. I think democracy is too precious to think that somebody who's not on a phone call, that cannot stand before the American public, 
um, and answer the questions that somehow we would change the course of that. And we're one year away from today. What are they so afraid of? What do they have mm-hmm. to hide? Why wouldn't they release one item? If you are a jury member, you mm-hmm. have to look at all the information. You don't just get the prosecutor to give you one line from an opening okay. statement. You get cross-examinations. You get a due process. None of okay. that is happening here today. We have never gone down this in America, and we should stand up and not allow this ever to happen. All right. Well, we have some questions you just laid out there to put to Majority Leader Steny Hoyer. Thank you for joining us there from New York. Good morning to you. Good morning, Margaret. Uh, you just heard uh, from Leader McCarthy that this is just a wholesale rejection of the way Democrats are laying out this impeachment inquiry. Margaret, you know what I say is uh, when lawyers have a statement that when you have the facts, you pound on the facts. When you have the law, you pound on the law. When you neither have the facts nor the law, you pound on the table. What you just heard from uh, my friend, the minority leader, was pounding on the table. It talks about the whistleblower. Uh, The whistleblower said, look, I heard something. Then people investigated what he heard. Mm -hmm. And the problem that Kevin has and the Republicans have is witness after witness after witness says, yes, I was there. I listened. Those are the facts. That's what's critical in any trial. You wouldn't call the whistleblower. What you call is the people who are actually there, which is what Adam Schiff has done, acting as an investigator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the investigations in both uh, Nixon and Clinton, you had a special prosecutor. They investigated. They investigated it confidentially. Right. And Republicans said that was the right thing to do. Now, so, d- now we passed a resolution that says we're going to move to a public mm-hmm. uh, hearing where all the uh, transcripts, all the depositions are going to be made uh, known to the president uh, and to the members of Congress. When do public hearings begin? I think relatively soon. What does that mean? Well, it sounds rel- a lot like what we just heard uh, Speaker Pelosi say, well, which was pretty vague. Well, it You've was. You've only got, what, uh, eight days Why is it? before Thanksgiving? But, but no, we have, we have not, time is not constraineous. The truth and the facts are constraineous. We are going to move as soon as the facts and the truth dictate that we have, which means that when Adam Schiff is uh, determined that he is through uh, what he needs to have uh, in terms of testimony and evidence, Mm -hmm. he will then, pursuant to the resolution, submit it to the Judiciary Committee, and the Judiciary Committee will proceed in a manner uh, giving the rights to uh, uh, the president and to the Republicans uh, that exceed, frankly, the rights that uh, were available to the minority in the Clinton. We were in the minority. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, to the Republicans. So all, do you expect all the public hearings to be wrapped up before Thanksgiving? Or is this going to take well, us well, well into I, I, December? I, Margaret, you asked me a question I don't know the answer to because mm-hmm. I don't know what witnesses are going to come forward, what they're going to say, what uh, evidence will have to be uh, pursued by uh, not only the uh, uh, Intel Committee, but then by the Judiciary Committee, which has jurisdiction. Right. You know, uh, why, why? Kevin is correct. Hmm. Uh, this is a very serious matter. And uh, I think all the American people understand we did not rush to this judgment. As a matter of fact, this went on for over a year. And both the speaker and I said, no, we're not there. We're looking at the facts. We're committing oversight, which is our responsibility under the Constitution. Well. My question on timing here also has to do with the fact that what we saw in the vote this week was not a single Republican vote for it. Why not take your time? Well, why not? It, I know it's just a resolution. It's not. No, no. Articles more yet, than that, I think the Republicans didn't vote for it because Mr. McCarthy told them, and I've talked to some of them, this is a procedural vote. Mm-hmm. It was not. It was a substantive vote to assure that a fair hearing going forward before the public was going to be held. So is it still important to you to have this be a bipartisan vote when articles of impeachment are actually put forward? Do you actually expect to peel away a few Republicans? Look, I think uh, every member of Congress, Republican or Democrat, ought to vote not their party, not their partisanship, but the Constitution and the protection of the Constitution. If they believe, and this is the answer Mm -hmm. they're going to have to come to grips with, because 80 percent of the American people thinks it was wrong for the President of the United States to be withholding dollars appropriate by the Congress for Ukraine's defense and, in effect, saying uh, you can't get a meeting with me in the White House unless you undertake an investigation. 
Eighty percent of the American people thinks that was wrong. But but and that this had, may hurt Democrats been, to have this be perceived to be partisan fully. I mean, if you go into well, look, uh, if the House goes ahead with the impeachment <laughs> and the Republicans, as you know, control the Senate, it's unlikely that you're going to get 20 senators to vote to actually convict the president on this. So does this ultimately become a, a political albatross for Democrats who were trying to run in 2020 because they couldn't deliver Margaret, this is not a calculation about whether this is good for us politically or bad for us politically. But it will have political ramifications. It it may well have, but we have a duty. We have a duty to the country, to the American people, and to the Constitution of the United States. And if we find, after the Judiciary Committee considers all the evidence, uh, Mm -hmm. that there is reason to believe, probable cause, we lawyers would say, that the President of the United States has committed a high crime and misdemeanor. And now, high crime according to Hamilton, is an abuse of power. Mm-hmm. Not a crime as we generally think of it, but an abuse of power. Eighty percent of the American people think the president should not have been involving a head of a foreign government in our elections. And, and, and it ultimately and that comes puts down to whatever, whatever Congress risk, but our national decides security it is. At risk. But I want to quickly ask you, okay. to a lot of the country, this just looks like political fighting. And it doesn't look like anything is getting done here in Washington. Can you actually do things like the free trade deal or uh, we actually can. get legislation through or is impeachment we, just sucking up all the oxygen and, and getting lost at people at home? Well, you know, we passed over 400 bills, uh, many of which I, I are, see your list of I all the bills here. But, but, but you see my list and you're sort of smiling. Well, isn't that what you asked me? We have passed a lot of very substantive legislation, mm-hmm. uh, major reform bill. Uh, trying to make our streets safer from gun violence, uh, trying to make sure that women are safer on the uh, our mm-hmm. streets, making sure that we have equal pay, we raise wages, we yeah. protect pre-existing conditions. All of those are big issues. Okay. And we pass them. And they sit, ironically, in the body that the Republicans the uh, uh, control, and they accuse us of not doing anything while they it's, hold 400 bills that aren't being attended to. Well, I'm running out of time here, <laughs> okay. but I thank you for joining us here. We'll be back in one minute. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. We turn now to campaign 2020 and Iowa, where the Democratic presidential candidates were in full form, full swing this weekend. CBS News political correspondent Ed O'Keefe has been out there with them in Des Moines. Uh, And I know it's chilly out there, um, but you've seen some recent polling from Iowa, such a key state that is showing Mayor Pete Buttigieg moving up. And he apparently thinks it's now a two-person race between him and Senator Elizabeth Warren. Uh, Is that realistic? Is that what you're hearing? Well, look, if you look at the polling that's out, especially this morning across the country, it is different than what's going on here in Iowa, in part because Iowans are getting far more attention from candidates and they're thinking differently about this race. Buttigieg is surging in part because he's now spending all that money that he raised over the summer on advertising, on staffing that is uh, helping him get the support he needs. As for former Vice President Joe Biden, who is, according to the polling, slipping just a bit, his team isn't quite worried just yet. They point out that a $4 million ad campaign began just this weekend, that he raised $5.3 million online last month, his best monthly haul yet, and they know that there's now a super PAC out there that is set to begin advertising on his behalf. We've seen other candidates have to recalibrate in recent days. Kamala Harris is putting all of her resources here into Iowa, hoping to finish in the top three. We talked to her yesterday about that and her plans for somehow winning here in the Hawkeye State. I'm all in in Iowa. I'm all in. Your team vowed in the last month that you would finish in the top three in this state. Is that still the goal? We are going to end up in Iowa doing very well. But does it have to be a top three finish? I think it has to be exactly what we want it to be. <laughs> Which is, that would be a victory yeah. then, right? Well, we listen, I, we're going to do well in Iowa, and I'm sure of that. There were some curious comments by Mayor Pete Buttigieg this weekend. He's trying to suggest now that this is becoming 
a two-person race between him and Senator Warren. Well, I think that that's just, a, um, that it's naive for him to think that at this point. But the, the, the fate of this election has been determined. Just look at history. You might need to review past elections to know that what's happening right now um, is not necessarily determinative of the outcome. That's Ed O'Keefe in Iowa. Thank you. You can see his full interview with Senator Harris on CBSNews.com and on our digital network, CBSN. We turn now to an historic event that Washingtonians are still celebrating. Yesterday, thousands lined the streets and braved the chilly fall weather to honor the city's World Series winning home team, the Washington Nationals. Times have changed since 1924. That's the last time that Washington won the Major League Baseball World Series. This year, the team's inspiration and rallying cry. (laughs) The somewhat annoying children's song helped motivate the team and its fans to overcome a rough start to the season. Bumpy roads do lead to beautiful places, and this trophy right here is proof of that. So this is for you, D.C. Ryan Zimmerman was the team's first draft pick when the Nationals moved to Washington in 2005. The fans, we grew up together. I truly believe this is the greatest city to play sports in the world. Thank you. We all agree with that and offer our congratulations and thank you to the Washington Nationals. The celebration continues tomorrow when the team has been invited to visit the White House. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome back to Face the Nation. We go now to a Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee, California Congresswoman Jackie Speer, who joins us this morning from Palm Springs. Welcome to Face the Nation. Thank you, Margaret. There are just eight working days left before the Thanksgiving break. Uh, Congressman, when will these public hearings actually begin? I think they're going to be cut, begin very soon. Uh, we have one more week of interviews that will take place. And then I'm pretty confident we're going to move into a public hearing setting in which the health, the House Intelligence Committee, along with the Foreign Affairs Committee and the Oversight Committees, will start to place in the public's hands the information. I also think the transcripts are going to start to be released next week. And that's going to give the American people uh, an eye on exactly what we have heard. And what we have heard is growing evidence Mm -hmm of um, grounds for impeachment. Um, Democrats are going to hold strong in terms of defending the democracy we have. And the question for the GOP is, are they going to put Donald Trump ahead of our country? Well, when will those public hearings actually start? I mean, are are you talking a week after next? You said you have more depositions scheduled this week. Next week, do we start to see the public hearings? I think that the following week is, is likely to be when we will start having hearings. And then, of course, once our work is completed, the investigation, then it will move to the Judiciary Committee. But it's really important to point out that, one, the Republicans complained about the process, but the process was very equal. Uh, they had equal number of members, almost 50 members, that were part of these three committees that could participate mm-hmm. in these depositions. They had an hour to question their side, and then we had an hour, and then 45 minutes. It was equal all the way down the road. Uh, One of your fellow Intelligence Committee members, uh, Joaquin Castro, tweeted this week that he believes one of the individuals who testified under oath, Ambassador Gordon Sunland, he's the U.S. ambassador to the EU, has committed perjury. Do you believe that? I think that there are inconsistencies in his testimony based on a testimony we've heard from other witnesses, and it will probably be appropriate for him to come back and uh, have him interviewed again. Uh, Is there and then a date we for will... that? Has he agreed to do that, come back and answer more questions? I don't know that that decision has been made yet. But it is something you, you think is necessary at this point. Uh, otherwise, I do believe it is. But the yes. perjury word is too strong for you. 
At this point, it is. Okay. Um, you mentioned that there will be testimony made public in the coming days. I mean, how how are we going to receive this? How many pages? Who's first out to be released? Uh, because the accusation is, of course, that all of this is, is cherry-picked. No, I think you're going to see all of the transcripts that are going to be released probably within the next five days. I don't know if they're all going to be released on the same day, but they're going to be very telling to the American people. There's no question now whether there was a quid pro quo. And now the question that the Republicans are trying to throw out is, well, was there corrupt intent? Well, corrupt intent is defined in part by whether or not the president has lied. And he has lied over and over again that there was no quid pro quo. There was no this for that. But there was a this for that. He was withholding money from Ukraine. Here they are defending themselves against the Russians, holding as much as $400 million, waiting for them to come out publicly and say that they would investigate the Bidens and mm-hmm. look into this phony server issue. So it right. is the first time that we've seen this kind of abuse of power by a president um, and for personal gain. And that's what is so remarkable about all of this. And of course, the, the allies of the White House point out that the aid was ultimately released and that uh, the investigation into the Bidens was not ultimately opened. But for you, um, I, I want to know, who do you need to see come forward and, and answer questions before you move into these hearings? John Bolton, the former national security advisor, we know there's interest in asking questions of him. Is he actually going to show up? I mean, is he your star witness? Well, I think we've had a lot of star witnesses, to tell you the truth, but we would like to hear uh, from Mr. Bolton. We'd like to hear from Mr. Eisenberg. Um, But whether or not they are going to respect the subpoena is another question. Uh, I'd like to also remind your viewers that we have sought information from the State Department Mm -hmm. that um, they have not made available to us at all. There has been an effort to prevent us from accessing information that we rightfully have the ability to have under the Constitution as the oversight function in Article 1. Quickly, do you think the Articles of Impeachment will uh, ultimately include things other than Ukraine? I'm not sure. I mean, there could it, it could include obstruction of Congress. Um, I think that you can make a case for bribery now. And I think that discussion needs to be seriously uh, developed and considered because there was an effort to try to seek yeah. to get something of value um, from Mr. Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. Uh, you're speaking to us from California. We know your home state has been just uh, ravaged by some of these wildfires. Uh, the president tweeting about it this morning and has uh, seemingly uh, been blaming your governor um, for, as he put it, failing to clean <clears throat> the forest. Um, The president said, though, that California won't get any more federal money for help. What's your response to that? Why should taxpayers make up for what the president says is the state's self-made problem? Well, it's not a self-made problem. I mean, uh, it's a national disaster when you have winds of over 100 miles per hour and you have a utility that turns off the electricity and then turns it back on and it sparks and creates yet another fire. Um, You know, the president has a serious problem with California because they didn't support him. And so now he's trying to take some action against them. All right. Congresswoman, thank you very much uh, for joining us this morning. And we will be back with our political panel in a moment. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. It's time now for some political analysis from our panel. David Nakamura covers the White House for The Washington Post. Nancy Cordes is the chief congressional correspondent here at CBS. John Hudson is also at The Washington Post covering national security. And David Drucker is a senior political correspondent at The Washington Examiner. Good to have you all here. Um, Let's start with impeachment. The president has been tweeting quite a lot in the past 
36 hours or so about the whistleblower today, right before uh, our program said uh, that the whistleblower should be revealed. Uh, Nancy, what is the strategy here? Well, the strategy is for Republicans to try to focus on this whistleblower because they believe that there's evidence that he had a political bias. So focusing on him creates the appearance that the entire investigation is somehow tainted. But it's kind of a red herring because all of these witnesses who have come in and given depositions have essentially backstopped what it is that he said initially and given far more detail. So the whistleblower, Democrats argue, is kind of irrelevant at this point. Everything that he has said, for the most part, has been checked out. And they say that they've got witnesses who were much closer to the action that they're going to rely on, not just in these depositions, but in the public hearings to come. And and as we reported here, uh, and Leader McCarthy didn't answer really, uh, was that now the offer is being made by the whistleblower to say, I will answer questions. I won't go through Democrats. You can ask questions directly of me. Why isn't that going to be good enough? Well, I think Republicans are going to continue to hang their hat on a faulty process because it doesn't necessarily appear, at least up to this point, that they have the substance to knock down the narrative that the Democrats have created with a lot of the leaks coming out of the hearings behind closed doors. After your story broke, Margaret, I spoke to some senior Republicans who felt as though Zaid, the lawyer for the whistleblower, was engaged in what they refer to as a Sunday narrative ambush. In other words, let's make this offer. It'll be discussed on the Sunday morning news shows, and that will put us in a better position. And that's how Republicans are choosing to deal with this. They feel like this was just created to put them on defense. The interesting thing here, and I was able to... So they do- don't have an interest in actually asking questions of the whistleblower in writing they at all. They didn't say that, but okay. it appears as though what they're saying is this is just more obfuscating. This is a way of creating a reason why we're not really avoiding the committee. When what Republicans are saying is that the whistleblower is avoiding the committee. The Democrats are shielding him from us on the committee, where we might be able to ask some real questions to get the heart to the heart of a conspiracy to essentially try and get the president out of office prematurely. And I think, you know, for the president himself, and I was able to speak to him with my colleagues a few hours after that impeachment vote, he feels like everybody's out to get him with Mm -hmm. something that is not true. And the interesting part of this debate is everybody keeps talking about the transcript, and that includes the president. So Democrats point to the summary transcript of the telephone call with Zelensky, and they say this is exactly the problem. And the president points to the transcript and says this is exactly not the problem. And I think this whole thing is going to boil down to which side can convince the American people broadly that they're right, right about that transcript. That's why the president put out the transcript. But, you, I mean, what you've seen over the past couple the weeks... The call record. The call record. It's not, you know, the summary of the, of the call. Uh, but we've seen over, with all this testimony on the Hill behind closed doors, but which has come out in pretty detailed fashion, is that as much as the president wants to create this idea that the whistleblower is politically motivated and may have even worked uh, at the NSC and the Obama administration, which many career people do, uh, the number of people who have come forward and testified uh, include a former mil- or a military officer, right. Alexander Vindman, uh, a, a retired diplomat who came out of uh, retirement in William Taylor to become the ambassador to Ukraine at the request of Mike Pompeo, the secretary of state people with credentials that go beyond uh, Democratic partisanship. Some are Republicans. Tim Morrison, mm-hmm. the NSC staffer who testified this week, has, is a Republican. I mean, so the president's going to have trouble, and has had trouble, uh, establishing the idea that this is some partisan witch hunt, even though he calls those who testify against him who are Republican, never Trumpers, uh, part of the establishment, have been out to get him from the start. And what is significant about those firsthand accounts is exactly that, that these individuals, Morrison uh, and uh, um, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, were on the were call on the versus... Call. The whistleblower who was not. But that is who the focus is being put on right now. Uh, Jen, I asked about the former national security advisor, John Bolton, who is repeatedly referred to in the testimony so far as someone who was not comfortable with this. In fact, advised his deputies to go to White House lawyers about this deal that was being floated uh, to Ukraine. Is he going to show up to testify? I mean, that's the big question. I mean, he is scheduled for Thursday. That's when Democrats want to see him. And he's also someone who has a closer seat to power than everybody else has previously. He wasn't on the call, though. But mm-hmm. wasn't, wasn't on the call, but as we know, uh, very much aware of what was going on, uh, very much expressed skepticism, according to many of the people that have testified so far, uh, described it as a drug deal, according to one official. <laughs> um, 
said described you know the, the president's attorney as a hand grenade that's going to kill us all. And so we know there's a lot of discomfort. At the same time, we also know that Ambassador Bolton wants to remain relevant in Republican politics. He has relaunched his super PAC. It's not so easy to remain re- relevant in Republican politics uh, while going after the president. So I think there should be some skepticism that he is going to be the newest member of the resistance against mm-hmm. Trump. Uh, <laughs> clearly, he has some access to grind in the administration from his time while he was in power. But that's very different from going after the president directly. Mm-hmm. I believe that the release of these transcripts, which are coming, and, and Congresswoman Spear talked about, are going to be a major inflection point in the impeachment effort because Republicans insist that once the transcripts are out, right. we're going to see a fuller picture of what has been talked about, and it is going to, in a sense, reset what everybody is saying about the president, whether he did something wrong, whether he did something just unseemly. And Democrats that I have talked to say, in effect, there's nothing Republicans can do to try and make this better. Once you see the transcript, in fact, it's going to get worse for the president. And I think that's going to go a long way towards shaping where this is headed. I think part of that is true. But the other thing that is true is once we see the release of some of these transcripts, let's remember, these are hours upon hours upon (laughs) hours of testimony. There is going to be a glut of information to cherry pick from from all sides. And so while it is true, there is this steady undercurrent of officials who have really established uh, what we have seen as this quid pro quo allegation. Uh, there's also going to be other things, such as officials saying, mm-hmm. "Well, we were concerned about Hunter Biden taking a board on the, taking a seat on the board." Are those right. things going to be elevated? Who's going to win the information war? It's going to be a full-on battle. And Margaret, that's exactly why Democratic leaders like Steny Hoyer with you this morning are so vague about the next steps because they're trying to figure out how to craft these public hearings in such a way to sort of shrink all that information down and really crystallize it for the American public. They'd like to see a large panel of people uh, Mm -hmm. with great reputations sort of all um, confirm what the other has said, lay out the facts, but at the same time, they don't want to overwhelm the American Mm -hmm. people either. So do they have multiple witnesses on one day? Do they try to spread it out? How many hearings do they hold? Those are all the things that they're trying to figure out right now. Many of them tell me they'd like to move to hearings the week after this one, mm-hmm. but it's not completely nailed down yet. No. Were you surprised that Leader McCarthy said the only person he wanted to ask questions of was Adam Schiff, not call any other witnesses? I was surprised because you have heard some Republicans say that they want to call Hunter Biden. And that's exactly why Democrats say that they, at the end of the day, want to make the final call on some of these witnesses. They say that Republicans are going to try to bring forward people who, you know, take the conversation in an entirely different direction Mm -hmm. than the one that they want to focus on. And furthermore, they say that these rules are very similar to what we saw during the Nixon and Clinton impeachments. But Republicans argue that they're being steamrolled here, that they couldn't all listen in on these depositions, and now they can't pick their witnesses for the hearings either. We're going to take a quick break and come back with more. There are things happening other than impeachment, and we'll <laughs> really? tell you about them. Who knew? <laughs> really? Say? More from the panel in a moment. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we are back with our political panel. You know, one of the few moments of joy in this town this week <laughs> were the Nationals uh, bringing home uh, this championship. We now know it's going to go political real quick. The players have been invited to the White House, and already we're hearing at least one player will not Absolutely, attend. Margaret. The Nats finished the fight on the field, but this political fight to degree could, could uh, rise tomorrow uh, when the president is doing a pretty quick turnaround inviting the team 
uh, because they're here in Washington. They were just at a parade yesterday. So everybody's in town. But Sean Doolittle, one of the prominent pitchers, who's been pretty politically active in some issues regarding Syrian refugees, LGBTQ issues, uh, and other affairs, has said publicly and gave an interview to my colleague at The Washington Post uh, that he objects to the president's rhetoric of many of his policies. He is not going. He said he respects teammates who who will go. We have not heard of any other teammates uh, who've opted out yet. Uh, we'll see tomorrow. But we do know that, of course, uh, these moments have been very politicized in the Trump era. And even in the spring, uh, Boston Red Sox, who had won uh, the World Series last year, were invited. Uh, most of the minority players chose not to attend. The white players did attend. Uh, and it was very stark. I mean, it wasn't addressed uh, at the event. But uh, we saw President Trump uh, congratulate the Nationals. And he, was, of course, went to the game mm-hmm. uh, a week ago, but uh, was uh, heard a lot of boos uh, at Nats Park. So it'll, it'll be an interesting moment tomorrow. Do you think any, David, any other players will follow? Just do a little out on his own this time. Well, I think we could see a couple, but I think the Nationals have done a pretty remarkable job of not getting caught up in the politics of the building behind us and everything that we're involved in day to day. They've played baseball. Their comments have been focused on baseball. I think the owners have handled it just right. No lecturing. Um, and it's enabled everybody in town to sort of embrace them and really enjoy this win. And it was a great win. <laughs> <laughs> Feels good. Nancy, um, in an interview with Bloomberg this week, Speaker Pelosi uh, weighed in on, on what she thought the party should focus on. Uh, and things like Medicare for all proposed by you know Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, she was not too encouraging of a, a, a tax on billionaires, et cetera. She said, focus on what resonates in Michigan, not just in San Francisco. Is, is anyone listening to what the speaker's advice is here? And that's pretty interesting coming from someone who has been pushing for single payer longer than probably anyone on that uh, in that Democratic field. But she is, uh, like many Democrats, worried about the general election. And she sees what you see in every primary, but especially in this very crowded, enormous field, which is candidates all moving to the left because they're trying to win the progressive voters who are most active and most energized. Uh, and it's difficult to get your voice out there when there are 20 candidates. And so she's just trying to remind these candidates, hey, you know, you've got to worry about the general election. You've got to worry about Michigan and with Wisconsin. But uh, Elizabeth Warren sort of came back and said, you know, those days are over and we've got to do, you know, we've got to talk about what we believe in and we've got to energize people and we can't beat around the bush. So this is, you know, this is something you see in every primary. Mm -hmm. But I think it's notable that Nancy Pelosi herself is is issuing that message. Right. The the, the liberal from San Francisco saying, hold on here, that's (laughs) not going to work for you on the campaign trail. But David, I mean, what about those less ideological voters? I mean, that's the gamble. That's the bet being placed, that yeah. you can get someone who tried out President Trump in 2016 to vote for Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders this time right. around. That, that, well, I mean, that's not an easy uh, uh, way to go. Uh, so I think, you know, for the Democrats, they're trying to get these issues uh, into the public um, space. But I think it's uh, it's difficult. I mean, the, as you said, uh, when uh, Sonny Hoyer was here, you know, um, it's hard to see what's happening. And I think that's the message that's been continuing to give to voters, uh, aside from, you know, sort of the fighting and, of course, the uh, focus on impeachment. Obamacare is finally popular. If you propose taking away health care plans and coverage that Americans like, it could give President Trump a major talking point. Mm-hmm. Republicans were on defense on this last cycle. This could totally flip the script, and Pelosi understands that. And, and Elizabeth Warren this week had detailed her $20 trillion Medicare for all proposal, which is what kind of kicked this up. Uh, Joe Biden hitting back saying, uh, you know, she's making it up in terms of these numbers. That's pretty strong punch. Sure. And her response is, you know, well, let's see his let's see his numbers. Let's see. Let's see his, you know, his details. But clearly this is something that even Elizabeth Warren herself was worried about because she waited this long to actually put those details out there. And she mm-hmm. re- refused for such a long time to admit that it might mean that taxes would go up because she knew how that would play, right. even if she's arguing that in the long run, everyone's costs go down, at least people who are in the middle class, because they, they pay less for for health care. So it's clearly something that was a concern for the candidate herself for a while. John, on Ukraine and Joe Biden uh, and his name constantly being used by the president, um, uh, using this as an attack point. I mean, what are the odds that Hunter or Joe Biden are actually called 
over here to Capitol Hill to answer questions. Yeah, I mean, that's the big question. And it matters if the Republicans are going to actually engage in this process. If they want to call witnesses and uh, choose to take the advantages that this process affords them, uh, then we might start seeing people like this. Should they be willing to testify? Democrats would, because they're in the majority, would be able to say... Yes or no. Absolutely. But the event that they start shutting down uh, the Republicans just as they begin to engage in the process, as we know, they haven't been engaging. In your interview with Leader McCarthy, he basically made process arguments the whole way through, saying that this is a completely corrupt process. That would totally take away that talking point uh, the moment Democrats start like disallowing the Republicans to play a part in this. Uh, so that gets really interesting if you get a moment where uh, the Bidens have to deal more with this family story, uh, more with the questions about whether or not his son should have had a seat on this mm-hmm. uh, previously obscure Ukrainian energy company. Right. <laughs> you know who could call the Bidens to testify, or at least Hunter Biden? Lindsey Graham, who's chairman of Senate Judiciary, and he keeps getting asked all the time, are you going to do it? And he, yes, no, maybe. We'll right. see. Keeps getting asked about Rudy Giuliani as well. Correct. And that's a yes, no, maybe, too. All right. Thanks to all of you for helping us digest another really busy week here in Washington. That's it for us today. Thank you for watching. And thank you to the Jones Day Law Firm for the facilities here on Capitol Hill. Until next week, for Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer, and Representative Jackie Spear. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter and Instagram. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our digital network, CBSN, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 6 p.m. Eastern every Sunday. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds, but none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them? and not the man pulling the strings. Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus.